Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod, BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com, and by Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee, BirdsandBeans.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 690. On the road again. We'll start off by announcing a couple of Talking Birds road trips, which we hope if you're anywhere near Bristol, Rhode Island, or Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, you'll find to be of interest. On September 9th, we'll be doing our show from the Audubon Society of Rhode Island's Nature Center and Aquarium in Bristol as part of their Raptor Weekend. And on September 23rd, we'll be broadcasting Talking Birds Live from the American Birding Expo at the Greater Philadelphia Expo Center in Oaks, Pennsylvania. We'll have more details about both next week. Extra, extra, read all about it. Here are some of the stories and pictures and videos we have for you on our Facebook page this week. A beautiful photo of a blue grosbeak taken by a young environmentalist and photographer whom our Debbie Bleacher met at Hog Island Audubon Camp up in Maine this summer. Patrick Carney took the photo down in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. A French theme park causing the crows to pick up cigarette butts. The Irish Times has the story and we have a link to it on our Facebook page. And back to the Ocean State again. If you're a Rhode Islander, maybe you'd like to help out with the Rhode Island Bird Atlas 2.0. We'll connect you to the details. That's some of what we have for you on our Facebook page. Right now, don't forget, you can also find those stories through an online search, uh, should you not be a Facebook follower. That would be the sound of our mystery bird. Here's a little preview of our mystery bird contest coming along a little bit later in the show. We do the clues and sound now, so you'll be kind of ready uh, to call in when we give the signal a little bit later on in the show. Our mystery bird is a warm brown color with intricately patterned feathers that make it extremely well camouflaged. It has a large flat head and long wings. Our bird is most active at dusk, just before dawn, and at night. Look for it in dry woodlands, mostly in the southeast. From pine barrens to oak, hickory, and mixed deciduous woodlands, it hunts by flying low over the ground in search of insects and occasionally small birds and bats. And that would be our mystery bird. We have a beautiful Droll Yankees original iconic A6F classic tube feeder as a mystery bird prize, along with a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app, the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. And those are our prizes and those are the clues and such on our mystery bird contest. Uh, we have a listener blog from Talking Birds Ambassador Jesse Barraza in St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada, about swallows and swifts making a surprise first-time appearance in his backyard. Check it out on our website, uh, TalkingBirds.com. If it's not there right now, it'll be there very shortly. And we have some other terrific listener blogs on there right now as well. Well, we're thrilled to be able to say thank you to some more new Talking Birds ambassadors, including Natalie I. from Glendale, California. Natalie is a bird watcher and gardener in Los Angeles, and she even has a couple of websites, nataliecultivates.com and cultivatelovela.com. 
Thank you so much, Natalie, for becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. Thanks to our first ambassador from the Treasure State, the Big Sky Country State. That would be Norwood Michelle from the community of Big Sky, Montana. Sort of midway, uh, midway between West Yellowstone and Bozeman on U.S. Highway 191. Thank you, Norwood, for becoming a Talking Birds ambassador and our first from the great state of Montana. And thanks to our newest Talking Birds ambassador and one of our youngest, that would be Kyle O. from Enosburg Falls, Vermont. He says, I'm 13 and looking forward to sharing my growing love for birds and birding with my science teacher. She is also an ambassador, and you gave her in our school here in Bakersfield a shout-out a little while back. I am still kind of a beginning birder, but I will be growing as a birder for the next few years. Thank you for your podcast and all your information. Well, Talking Birds listeners, wherever you are, please consider joining Kyle and Norwood and Natalie as a Talking Birds ambassador. Help spread the word about birds and conservation. To do it, just click on the contact button at TalkingBirds.com and choose the Become an Ambassador option. Well, a few weeks ago, we were pleased and thrilled to welcome Wayne Peterson uh, and Paul Basich to our show, and we're welcoming them back again, starting with Wayne here, who's right in uh, the studio with us. Wayne is the director of the Important Bird Areas Program of Mass Audubon, Massachusetts Audubon. He's also a tour leader internationally and a teacher and one of the great birders of America. And he is back with us again. Good morning, Wayne. Good morning, Ray, and thanks again for having me back on the show. Uh, by the way, I want to mention Kyle there, who's 13, says he will be growing as a birder for the next few years. Now, <laughs> now you, you started birding before you were 13. But I would, is it fair to say you're still growing as a birder? It's absolutely uh, growing in every dimension. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> okay. But always learning. You never stop learning. Am I right? That's oh. true. Well, we're here to talk about the new edition of your Birding Community e-Bulletin uh, put together by you and Paul Basich. And as always, a whole bunch of uh, fascinating topics from rarity focuses to book notes and uh, other things. And one of them, Wayne, and this really connects with uh, with your work as an international uh, or rather an important bird areas program director. And it has to do with the new Western Hemisphere Shorebird Reserve Network site or WISRN site. Tell us what that's about. Well, you're absolutely right, Ray. Um, one of the interesting things about bird conservation efforts is that in many cases they can overlap. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fair to say that in the United States, two of the more important uh, agendas, one is the Important Bird Areas Program, which is ultimately administrated in the United States by the National Audubon Society, and the other is the Western Hemisphere Shorebird Reserve Network, which, as it suggests, is an international project that it attempts to identify sites that are of, of varying levels of importance to migratory shorebirds and wintering shorebirds. So in this current iteration of the um, Birding Community e-Bulletin, we highlight the fact that Owens Lake uh, in Inyo County, Southern California, has recently been designated as a WISERN site, WISERN again being the acronym for the Western Hemisphere Shorebird Reserve Network Program, so that the, uh, the Owens Lake site has for many years been recognized as a really significant venue for shorebirds that annually hosts more than 100,000 uh, individuals. Hmm. 
So that makes it, in terms of the hierarchy for the Wizard Program, a site of international importance. But that same Owens Lake has also previously been designated as an IBA uh, in California as an important bird area. So this is a classic case where two different um, nationally, internationally recognized bird conservation programs are actually focused on the same site, which sort of doubles the uh, the potential significance of these from anybody looking at it or should there be conservation threats and so mm-hmm. forth and so on. So when we can overlap agendas like this uh, in the e-bulletin, we're certainly happy to do it. So both the people at Wizard and the people at the IBA program have on various occasions sort of said, uh, tipped their hat to us and said, this is great that you're giving us airtime for these these projects, especially when they overlap like this. Just really quickly, Wayne, if you can, why, why is it significant? What's, what, what, what makes it important? What does it do for birds at this designation? As a wizard site? Yeah. Well, the wizard program is focused exclusively on shorebirds. Uh, I won't say there aren't beneficiary species, that, but it's, mm-hmm. it's really a shorebird conservation effort. And one of the things about shorebirds, as um, some listeners probably are aware, um, they don't have a lot of options. They can't drop into residential backyards. They can't drop into city parks and woodlots and so forth and so on. They have to go where the conditions are just right for them. So that the Wizard Program attempts to identify both in Canada um, and the United States and Latin America those sites that are of greatest stopover or wintering significance uh, either during migration or in the, the wintering season for shorebirds, many if not most of which actually breed in Canada and the Arctic and subarctic. So by identifying these sites and then monitoring them and beginning to get the data together that, in fact, in this case, helped designate it as an IBA, it also points to the fact that if you start, if you were to look at a map and connect the dots, um, that clearly is a significant point on the West Coast in terms of migratory shorebirds. Mm-hmm. So that because, again, these shorebirds don't have a lot of options, what they're doing is essentially going from one highly concentrated location to another on a seasonal basis. So if you can pinpoint those locations and then use whatever conservation tools you have to protect them and ensure that the birds are not disturbed, the sites are not desecrated, they're not developed, they're not polluted, and so forth and so on, what you're doing is basically providing great stopover or wintering sites for shorebirds and these huge migrations, many of which are um, transcontinental. We're talking with Wayne Peterson and still to come. More with Wayne, joined in a couple of minutes by Paul Basich with an overview of more of the August installment of their Birdalicious Birding Community e-Bulletin. Plus, as always, we'll catch up with our man Mike O'Connor in our Let's Ask Mike segment uh, answering some questions about goldfinches and uh, what they're doing here in, well, it's late August. And up next, a bird that, despite its skinny legs, strikes fear in the hearts of other birds is today's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Today's featured feathered friend is the sharp-shinned hawk. Now, where would you get a name like sharp-shinned, anyway? Well, in fact, it's because it does have sharp shins. No, really. The lower leg bone on the sharp-shinned hawk is what they call laterally compressed. In other words, kind of squashed in from the sides. The sharp-shinned hawk, or sharpie, as it's often called, is a type of hawk known as an excipiter. 
Slender birds with short, broad, rounded wings and a long tail which helps them maneuver in among trees and bushes. They have long legs and, as you might expect, long, sharp talons and a sharp, hooked bill. They eat small mammals, and your feeder birds will be the first to tell you that sharpies are seen often, too often, around bird feeders, along with their bigger cousin, the Cooper's hawk. Otherwise, what does a sharp-shinned hawk look like? Well, adults have a long, barred tail that ends with a squarish tip, short, rounded blue-gray wings and matching back, reddish barring on the chest and belly, white under the tail, red eyes, and long yellow toes. Juveniles are brown on the back and wings with coarse brown streaks on the underparts. And here's something kind of cool, if hard to see. The interior of the Sharpie's mouth is a light cobalt blue. And here's the rather bone-chilling call of the sharp-shinned hawk. Accipiter striatus, the sharp-shinned hawk. Today's Talkin' Birds featured feathered friend. Welcome again to our show, number 690. Our website is talkinbirds.com. No G in talkin'. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter, if you can, at Talkin' Birds. We're talking about the birding community e-bulletin. Wayne Peterson is here in the studio, and his co-editor, Paul Basich, is down in Maryland, about to join us on the phone here. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Ray. Welcome back. Great to have you on again to talk about the August issue of uh, the e-bulletin. We'll uh, recap again in a bit uh, how folks can get a hold of this and uh, subscribe to it and take advantage of all the amazing info that you two of you put together uh, uh, on, a, on a monthly basis. We just talked about one of the topics on uh, the August issue, and uh, one of them I wanted to get to something uh, close to your heart and your location in Maryland, and that's uh, an experiment there on preventing birds from crashing into windows. What can you tell us about that, Paul? Sure, uh, Ray. Wayne and I wrote about this experiment here in Annapolis. Of course, I'm in Maryland. Uh, And of course, as your listeners probably know, bird collisions may claim up to a billion birds a year in North America. And uh, they may have experienced this in their homes. It's sometimes pretty tragic in uh, large glass buildings. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's one particular building here in Annapolis. It's the Taws Building. And the Taws Building houses the DNR, the uh, Department of Natural Resources. It's a four-story complex. And it's a conspicuous bird killer. And uh, with regular collisions witnessed by concerned employees. These are employees who deal with, you know, parks, nature, mm-hmm. wildlife management areas, and, and they see this all the time, particularly in spring and fall. So um, there's been a cooperative effort with Safe Skies Maryland, a partnership of the uh, Maryland Ornithological Society and the DNR and Maryland Bird Conservation Partnerships and the state parks to initiate um, a project on the Taws building. The Taws building is actually about four or five medium-sized four-story buildings, lots of glass, and they are connected by breezeways, as they're called. These are four-story connections, narrow connections uh, from one building to the next. 
So these breezeways are particularly deadly because they're very glass structured. And um, what's being done, what was done last month and finished last month was uh, the installation of these Acopian bird savers. I think they were developed by our friends at the um, um, Hawk Mountain Sanctuary, the Acopian Center there. Mm. And they are um, weighted paracords, right? These are elastic and durable parachute cords. They are four inches apart and they're dropped from the roof in front of the glass and they go down four, three of the four stories. Hmm. And so it appears to be the, they're weighted at the bottom, by the way, and they're long lasting. And when you look at them from afar or from even a reasonable distance, they look like lines that are in front of the, the glass. And so this deters the birds and it's hmm. already um, proven to be very uh, bird safe. And they're doing this because uh, it is a state building, it's an, a leased building, and they're doing it in harmony where other cities and state governments, such as in New York or Minnesota and San Francisco, have put this into law. That is to say, the uh, state-run buildings uh, are compelled to install some kind of collision proof mm -hmm. to make the, bird, uh, the buildings bird-friendly. Uh, bird I'm just and so this is an experiment in Maryland uh, on that very that very element. I'm just picturing this. It sounds like a giant version of those uh, strings we'd hang down for to prevent house sparrows from uh, accessing bird feeders, but obviously for a different. Uh, yes, objective. I mean I, w I would. It's probably in the same school. And the interesting thing is because many of these buildings are leased and not owned by the state, they can't necessarily do major changes on the buildings. So these are kind of external changes that are that are comply with the leases, and it works. Everybody wins. The, you know, the owner wins, the state wins. The, most importantly, the birds win. Mm -hmm. So it, it works pretty well. This year, the um, state of Annapolis, the assembly, the general assembly, did not pass legislation because uh, the legislators didn't have enough information. Mm -hmm. uh, so they claimed, and that makes some sense. But this building now serves as a perfect showcase and pilot project in their neighborhood uh, to uh, to witness what's going on and hopefully with the next uh, general assembly meeting uh, they will pass legislation on this mm -hmm. well let's let's hope so we don't have a lot of time and i wanted to just maybe ask you wayne did you give us a few of the headlines uh, in this august issue of the uh, birding community e-bulletin then people can uh, take a look for uh, for the e-bulletin and get the some details on them Sure. Um, we typically start out with a rarity of the month where we pick some outstanding uh, vagrant or, or otherwise uh, visiting species that uh, appears and has created a, a stir. Um, we did a piece this time on the wall, uh, the Santa Ana National Wildlife Refuge Rio Grande Valley wall that gradually is being constructed and the implications that that could have if it bisects Santa Ana Refuge and several of the other key um, bird refuges in the in the lower Rio Grande Valley. Um, we had, uh, in addition to this glass piece that uh, Paul just mentioned, we always do a, uh, a little book review. This time we did one that's uh, sort of based on the uh, bird note um, program and the little uh, PR bits that they include every day. Um, they've bound some of the, the, the better ones in a book. 
edited uh, by our friend Ellen Blackstone. Exactly, mm-hmm. and and that's a very well done uh, little compendium of stories from there. Uh, there's a story about um, um, a merganser brood that's huge because of uh, a combination of probable events, including dump nesting and adoption and so forth and so on, um, that uh, is in Minnesota. And it turned, it out, turned out that this one female common merganser had upwards of 50 ducklings in tow. <laughs> Um, and then more. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then eventually that grew and so forth. So that's an interesting little story. Um, then there's um, some updates on the farm bill, House and Senate, and, and how that affects bird conservation. And also, um, we've, over time, run a lot of stories having to do with sage-grouse mm-hmm. in the West because they're right in the crosshairs of potential uh, disruption as a result of... Uh, various political activities. So that's just a sampling mm-hmm. of some of the stuff in this one. That's all in the August issue of the Birding Community e-Bulletin. Uh, Paul or Wayne or both, tell us uh, how folks can access this. What's the easiest way to do it? Paul, why don't you give them the load on that? Well, I think the easiest way is to Google Birding Community e-Bulletin. It'll come up. You can look at the archives and at the end of each issue there's the uh, link and the instructions as to uh, how to sign up. All right, Paul, thank you so much, and congratulations on another uh, beautiful uh, installment of the Birding Community e-Bulletin. I think we did. We lose Paul. No, anyway. thank, oh. you, thank you very much. <laughs> Wonderful to talk to you, and uh, uh, always Wayne. <laughs> Great to talk right, to you, Paul. Paul. Thank you. We'll call you that. Always Wayne. I like that. All right, Paul. Thank you, and Wayne will be uh, hanging in there with us. And our mystery bird contest is coming up in just one minute. Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. My name's Randy Alberts, and I'm calling from Austin, Texas. I decided to become a Talking Birds ambassador because it was a simple, no-brainer way for me to feel part of the birding community. It makes me feel like I'm part of something bigger. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talking Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, talkingbirds.com, click on the contact button, and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the contact button at talkingbirds.com. And thanks. Just a reminder, if you're not hearing our Sunday morning show live, we do the show live Sunday mornings from 9.30 to 10 Eastern Time. Uh, a way to access our program live is to go on our website, TalkingBirds.com, click on the Listen button, and you can see how to listen live. It's uh, pretty easy to do, as long as you just have a little internet connection there. It's our mystery bird contest. There's our bird, a warm brown color with intricately patterned feathers that make it extremely well camouflaged. It has a large flat head and long wings. Most active at dusk, just before dawn and at night. Look for it in dry woodlands in the southeast, from pine barrens to oak hickory and mixed deciduous woodlands. Would you like to add something to that description or subtract anything from it, Wayne? Not not yet, but he's, he's holding back with something. That's our mystery bird. Tell us what it is or take a guess, because one of the special features of our mystery bird contest is that you don't necessarily have to get the right answer. So that's a pretty good aspect of the contest. If no one gets the right answer, we'll do a drawing and determine our winner uh, that way from among 
Answers received. 781-837-4900 is the number. That's 781-837-4900. We have two fabulous prizes. The Droll Yankees original iconic A6F classic tube feeder with a lifetime warranty against squirrel damage. Plus, we have a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app that makes learning bird sounds a game. Take a guess or tell us what that mystery bird is, 781-837-4900. That's 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, we'll check in with Mike O'Connor down on Cape Cod at the Birdwatcher's General Store. Let's ask Mike live in just one minute. Well, here's a preview of another great nature book from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, publishers of the Peterson Field Guides. Part of the satisfaction of watching birds is being able to name what you see. Yet field guides have so many species to choose from, it can be overwhelming. The Peterson Guide to Bird Identification in 12 Steps starts with the basics, such as location, habitat, and season, and then builds logically into a manageable framework that can help anyone identify and appreciate birds. If you're new to birding, the book will help you understand the fundamentals of observation and the identification process. If you're more experienced, it helps you step back from years in the field and refresh your thoughts on how to watch and identify birds. Written in a helpful, conversational style and illustrated with more than 85 color photographs, the Peterson Guide to Bird Identification is available wherever books are sold. Thought we almost lost our theme music and that just would not work. As we know, Mike will not come on the program without the theme music. So, whew. good morning, Mike. Yeah, it's in my contract. I can't do it. There's nothing yeah, I, I can do. I, I hear you shuffling the papers all the time. You, you look through the contract each time that we <laughs> activate right. the uh, feature here. Well, good morning, Mike. And, uh, and Wayne uh, Peterson's here in the studio. He wants to well, say... Good morning there, Mr. Peterson. Well, good good to morning, Mike. Again. How are you? Um, rocking in the free world, man. <laughs> Living has, the good life. Has Wayne uh, been to your store since the last time we spoke? No, I'm a little disappointed. Mm. Give him a little nudge okay. here. I'll get over it. I'm flexible there. So, uh, Mike, people are asking you about goldfinches. They're carrying nesting material around now here in late August, and they're wondering why. What is the Right, I got a woman with me. Her name was Fran, and she yeah. sent me this note. I, I assume that's a woman. And she, she's cute because she says that we, it, even this late, the uh, goldfinches are coming to our fluff dispenser, which I think is kind of a, a cute thing. That we could have sell fluff dispensers a in our fluff dispenser. Store. I but don't have one. I hate to admit it. She puts, what? I'm sorry. Yeah. She puts stuff in there and uh, cotton, and uh, she even puts dog fur. Some people will do, like, golden retrievers, as long as it's not treated, you know, with uh, insect repellent and stuff like that, tick mm. stuff. That, that's a good thing to do, or alpaca fur. And they're, they're picking it off now. And goldfinches are notorious late nesters. When all the birds started early, when the food was available for the insects, goldfinches being vegetarians, they don't have to deal with the insects. So they wait a little bit longer to the spring flowers turn to seed, mm. and then they get busy um, building their nests. And some of them have already started, but sometimes they have a second brood or they failed their first time, and so they're, they're working on another nest. They'll, People are finding nests as late as September with these guys. Wow. So that's what they're doing. So if you've got any cotton batten or something like that, put it out. The goldfinches will appreciate or your own fluff dispenser. All right. Yeah, the fluff. We're going to check into that as soon as the show is over here. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. I'll see you, too. Talk to you later. Mike O'Connor down there at the Birdwatcher's General Store, Orleans. 
Cape Cod, Massachusetts. We're back here at the Mystery Bird Contest. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. What is our mystery bird? Uh, Richard is in Middleborough, Massachusetts, uh, perhaps with an answer for us. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Ray. Good morning. And Wayne is here. You want to say hello to Wayne? Wayne Peterson is here in the studio. Hi, Wayne. How are you? Good morning, Richard. What do you think, Richard, on the mystery bird? Uh, I'm thinking uh, Eastern Screech Owl. Eastern Screech Owl, Wayne. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> if you can say onomatopoeia, you've got a clue. On onomatopoeia? That was pretty good, but uh, uh, it's not, it's not no, helping. No. All right, Richard, thank right. you so much for the call. All right, thank you. All right, we have Susan in Kingston, Massachusetts, uh, I think, or... Yeah. Good morning, Susan. Hi, how are Hi. you? Hi. Doing well. How are you, Susan? Fine, thank you. What do you think, Susan? Mystery bird. I think it's a Chuck's Will Widow. Chuck Will's Widow. Wayne is giving a thumbs up and a nod and a big smile, all three indicating that it is the correct answer. Oh, that's great! <laughs> Chuck Will's Widow. Absolutely correct. A close relative of the eastern whippoorwill that we're more familiar with here in eastern Massachusetts. But, Wayne, we might see Chuck Will's Widow here in the northeast as well. Well, interestingly enough, Chuck Will's Widow has probably, or at least quite possibly, been nesting in Massachusetts since the 1970s. But hard and to yet see. it has not been confirmed. So anybody that can find a Chuck Will's Widow nest gets a gold star. All right. We have run out of time. Uh, Susan, stay on the line. We'll get your address, and we'll see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod, BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com, and by Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee.